a wonderful thing that God's been doing this fall. He's just been expand, expanding our staff. So it's a, it gives me great pleasure to welcome our worship pastor, Josh Sturgeon, to come bring the word today. You guys give a round of applause for him. One thing we always want to be about at this church is no matter who comes up here to bring the word, we want to make a way for them to be who they are in the spirit because they've got a word to deliver. You know, we, we want to we make it a place that they can do that. So you guys extend a hand towards Josh. We're going to give him liberty in the spirit right now to, to, to just give away all that God's given him, okay? Father, thank you for this man of God. Thank you that he walks in the prophetic like nobody's business. He's got the word of the Lord for us today. And we just make a way in the spirit for him to share all that's on his heart, God, all that he has for us, God, and all that you have for us. Thank you for this messenger. We bless him. We receive the word that you have through him today in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. I'm just not skilled with these things. I, just, I can't pull off the Backstreet Boy microphone. <laughs> Honestly, I'm still recovering from Eddie's story. I don't know. If that, if that doesn't make the verse we're going to overcome by the word of our testimony, if that doesn't make that come alive, you're probably not alive. I mean, you're probably not living. But just take that in. Take in the power of God through his testimony. You know what I mean? Like that's going to, his, his testimony is going to save lives. His testimony is going to rescue people from a life of destruction. And yours can too. You don't have to be a Satanist to show the power of God through your life. But we just give glory to God for what he did through Eddie. Um, I got more good news. What I'm about to tell you today is going to save you thousands, thousands of dollars. It's true. I mean, you can give it, you can give it to the church, you can hold on, invest it, I don't know. I'm going to save you thousands of dollars from going to church growth conferences, buying books on how to expand the kingdom of God rapidly with the next new marketing plan. I'm going to save you money for all of those things with one sentence, okay? Ready? Love each other as Christ loved you. It's thousands of bucks right there. You can thank me after. It's cool. <laughs> See, the problem is, though, that's not going to sell. It's not. It's not going to sell because that simple little thing that we overlook is really hard to do because it calls us to die day by day. It calls us to die to ourselves, And we're going to get into that further. I want you to hold on to that, though. Love one another as Christ has loved you. Okay, hold on to that. More good news for real, though. We're going to read the Word of God, and it's going to bring life to us today. So I want you to put your finger in two portions of Scripture. Uh, one of them is going to be Ephesians 2, towards the end. The other is going to be John 15, but we're not going to get there later, so put your gum wrapper in there. i got to find it, too. It's always funny, because people are looking over your shoulder. You want, you want them to to think that you know where Ephesians is and like you don't just read your Bible. I've been there like. Maybe that's just me. We can put that on the screen too. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. We'll pick it up in verse 17. He came and preached peace to you. Who are far away. 
and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. So that's the name of the talk today, is dwelling. You're a dwelling place for God's spirit. I'm going to say it a couple more times. You're a dwelling place for God's spirit. You're a dwelling place for God's spirit. Okay, when you gave your life over to Jesus and you said, I give you everything, Lord. Come into my life. I want to receive everything you have for me, the abundant life that you promise. You became a literal dwelling place for God's spirit. You didn't just become a member in a group. You didn't just, you didn't just get a new kind of cultural identity you know, Christian, evangelical Christian, which I don't, don't really want that. It's not going to get you anywhere in the world, to be honest. But what you did receive was the identity of being a dwelling place for God's Spirit. That's a very powerful thing. We're going to get into that further. My question to you to start is, where did people go to worship the Lord before the New Testament times, before Jesus? Anybody? temple, right? People went to the temple because it's a symbol of where God's presence actually dwelled. And there was all sorts of rules, regulations, people who could enter, people who could not. Times you could enter, times you could not. There was all sorts of separation. It was difficult to encounter the presence of God in that time because there were so many provisions that needed to be made for our sin. So we're sinful people. This is what's crazy, okay? You are the new dwelling of God's presence. Okay, the old temples, they were made by human hands so they could be destroyed. You know, actually, there was three different temples at different times because they would get destroyed and God would stir somebody back up, calm, build another temple, life is good, bam, that one gets destroyed, so on and so forth. Those temples would get destroyed over and over again. But, like I said, when Jesus did the work on the cross... He made you the new dwelling place for God's Spirit. Okay? Jesus is the foundation. If you can picture this as a literal dwelling place. I don't want you to even think of of being people who live in like a chapel or something. That's not it. You are the dwelling place. You understand? So Jesus is this bedrock foundation from which we are built and just firmly planted in. We're God's household where he chooses to dwell. Here's the thing. We can't, it's not even that we can approach God. We, one of the things we love to say at the beginning of worship is, God, we can boldly approach you before your throne. We have confidence because of Jesus, the great high priest who went before us. Right? And that's true. That's good. And we should remember that. But furthermore, we should remember that not only can we approach God, he dwells by his presence within us. Are you kidding me? The God of the universe, the God of all creation who made everything you see said, I'm going to make my home 
in these people who I love. I'm going to dwell richly in them, abundantly in them. Think of that. The next time you walk into the store, try this. Next time you walk into the store, you're just doing some sort of mundane task. I don't know. You're buying groceries, whatever. Just pause, think. Don't even pray. And just remember, God has taken up residence in you. He's taken up residence in you. And see how that changes the atmosphere you walk into. See how that changes where you go. Because you're mindful of God's spirit in you. It's a revolutionary concept. Okay, a couple more verses. You don't have to go there with me, but uh, I'll shout them out if you want to write them down and revisit them. John 4, 21 and 23. i got to get there too. I'm just going to summarize this for you. This will make a lot more sense now. Do you remember the woman at the well? The, where, where Jesus, she's, a, um, she's, you know, from Samaria, and so she kind of brings up this theological point, like, well, Jesus, you know, you and your people worship in Jerusalem. I worship on this mountain, this and that. And then Jesus says this, there's coming a time where you're not going to worship on this mountain or this mountain. The physical location of the temple is not going to matter. Why? Because true worshipers of God are going to worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, that passage makes a lot more sense in light of understanding that there's no physical location for the temple anymore. That God has chosen graciously to make all of you his new dwelling place. So that wherever we go, a YMCA gym, the slums of India, wherever we go, we carry the presence of God with us. In part and in whole. We're going to get into that too. See, you're not just this self-realizing creature who can... I have God's, I'm the, I have the God within, so I can just, accomp- no, it says you each individually are pieces of the dwelling, but collectively, you are the big D dwelling. You're the temple being built together. So there's a dynamic there that we need to pursue. And this is important because a lot of times what we think is, why can't I just stay home? If God's taken up residence in me, the Holy Spirit's my teacher. Why do I need to get up early on Sunday and come to church? Like, what's the deal with that? I can explore God on my own. That's true to an extent. You can. You can read the Word, and the Holy Spirit is going to be your teacher. And he's going to say, this is what this means. This is what this means. I want to teach you, you know, my son, my daughter. I want to teach you. But we're missing out if that's the extent of our Christian walk. Because there's a whole dwelling place together that we need to experience. That God just dwells even more richly, even more abundantly when we meet together, because there's all different pieces of this house. Remember, we're a house. We're built on a foundation. The foundation's Christ. I want us to catch that, that there's a power in gathering together. It's not just for a show. It's not just to sing songs. It's because when we come together, we become the even bigger dwelling place of God. And he comes and he meets with us, and it's powerful, and it's life-changing. And it changes people's lives. It changes a guy's life who comes off the street and says, I don't really get this, but I just, I want God again. Even though I've been rejected from church after church after church, the Spirit of God among these people is drawing me in, and I know that I want Jesus again. That's what happens when we get together. That's what happens when we gather as a church, and the the presence of God can dwell richly in us. It can change somebody's heart to that extent to say, even though I've been rejected, By this institution of the church, the big C church, the people of God who have been built up, I want a piece of that. I want that because that's life-giving. And for some reason I can't understand it, I want it. Another verse, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul saying that 
Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Again, reemphasizing that you become a part of the dwelling place of God. A lot of parents may have used that verse, actually, though, to, uh, for a reason for you not to get a tattoo or, like, not stay up too late or something. <laughs> and um, I'm not going to take issue with that. I'm just going to say that there's far greater implications to that verse than not getting a tattoo or not getting uh, staying up too late and getting sick. And um, namely, that the God of the universe has chosen to dwell within you. And then that's powerful, okay? <laughs> that's why, listen, that's why even a new believer who just gives their life over to Jesus last week, they're meaningful to my walk. I need what they have. They need what I have. But because the Spirit of God decides to take up residence in part in this individual who just gives their life over, that person has authority in my life, and they have what I need as a piece of this greater foundation, a piece of this great, sorry, Jesus the foundation, a piece of this greater dwelling. So don't overlook people because they haven't walked with the Lord for a long time. You know why? Because the Lord's going to speak through them and show you that you should listen. <laughs> There's this guy that we just saw speak the other day, and he'd been walking with the Lord for about 30, 40 years. He's, you know, he's a, he's a preacher, he's a prophet, and he was giving <clears throat> this, you know, wonderful word. A lot of people came to know Jesus. And then he was kind of greeting people as he left. And this one guy came up to him and, and just said, you know, this guy would, just gave his life over to Jesus. He said, sir, did you read your Bible today? Guess what? He hadn't. So he had a moment in his mind where he, he could have said, you know what? I can lie right now <laughs> and keep up this appearance of like a super Christian or I can submit to what the Spirit of God is doing through this man, accept this correction that the Lord is graciously offering me, and just say, you know what? I didn't give a single minute to the Lord today. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's how it works. The Spirit of God takes up residence in you and in whoever decides to follow Jesus, and we need each other to move forward. We need each other to be strengthened. <sighs> I just want to, I want to deviate a little bit and just talk about, um, just talk about how you are activated and how you are ready to be used, even if you haven't been to seminary, even if you have only been walking with the Lord for a week, okay? When I tell people that I'm finishing up um, my last year at, at seminary, a lot of times I'll get this, oh, you're going to be a minister. Oh. He's going to be a minister. And um, I just say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that means to you, yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be that. But really what's going on inside is I'm thinking, I come from a community of over 200 ministers. Okay, I'm not training to be a minister anymore. Because that's the thing. You all are ministers. You're all ministers. Why? Because the Spirit of God has taken residence in you. Because we're in a priesthood of all believers. Why? Because the church has been stagnant for far too long because we've put it in the hands of a few professional Christians, professional ministers, who have all the answers and are somehow more qualified than the rest of us to do the work of the ministry. I'm here to say that you're all ministers. Okay? As soon as you gave your life over to Jesus and said, uh, I follow you. You can have my life completely. That's your ordination. 
That's your call to ministry, okay? It's not all going to be from the front speaking. It's not all... See, now this is a different thing. Am I called to be an equipper of ministers? Yeah, definitely. But am I the minister or one of the ministers? Yeah, but so is the rest of the body of Christ. I want you to know that. If you want to see the kingdom of God break through in this area, you've got to start seeing yourself as a minister. You've got to start seeing where God is opening up ministry opportunities for you. Because I'll tell you what, if we're only looking for ministry to occur right here in the church, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss what God's doing in this age because he's activating minister after minister after minister who says, I want to see the spirit of God move where I live, where I work in my families and my friends. So don't put, don't put it in a box. Look for it. You're called to ministry. I'm sorry. That's just part of the package. It's just part of the deal. If you gave your life over to Jesus, part of the deal is having mission, having ministry. So it's going to be encouraging for some of you. It's going to be discomforting for others, but God be praised either way. Here's another encouraging thing. God's taken up residence in you with his spirit. Paul describes it elsewhere. He says that you've been marked with the Holy Spirit as a seal, as a deposit of what's to come. When you buy something of value and you don't have all the payment for it yet, what do you do? You put down a, okay, I guess you guys aren't buying anything or I don't, you put down a what? A deposit. Now the greater the purchase, get this, the greater the purchase, the higher the deposit necessary. The greater the value of your home, the greater down payment you have to put on it. How valuable are you that God put his very presence as the deposit. It's like, it's like you went down to the, get a new car and you're like, dude, here's my arm. Here's my leg. Take my other arm for all I care. I'm leaving pieces of me for this because I'm coming back for it. That's how valuable you are to the Lord as a minister, as a son, as a daughter, that he would leave his presence with us to dwell in us as his new dwelling place. How amazing is that? Can we get our minds around that? I can't. So I just accept it and move forward. <laughs> Another thing that you'll find is in, in the world today is that um, a lot of popular scholarship will say, oh, you know, when you boil it down, all the major religions are pretty much the same. They're all pretty much, uh, you know, chalked up to a bunch of rules, regulations. There's all kind of like a God, you know. Look into it. The, the popular, don't look into it, but if you want to, go for it. The popular scholarship says when it all boils down, it's kind of all the same common denominator. It's untrue. You might have heard C.S. Lewis say that the thing that really sets Christianity apart is grace, right? Because it's the, it's the one belief system that doesn't try to earn something, but it's just given freely. I'm here to say that there's also another distinctive as it relates to what we're talking about today, about being a dwelling, you got to understand, it's just downright offensive to most other world religions that the spirit of the living God, the creator God, the Yahweh God, would come dwell in you. That's just offensive, especially to Islam. See, Muslims have a hard time even believing that God came down in the form of Jesus to walk the earth because the earth was unclean, mankind is unclean, etc. Can you imagine explaining, opposed to that belief system, that God actually now takes up residence in his people? 
that's, that's another, that's exponentially more offensive that the actual spirit of God would live in you just blows people away. So it sets apart Christianity even more as different and unique. Don't let people tell you otherwise. All right, this is where it gets fun. We just heard some awesome testimonies, one of them from India, okay? We heard about a miracle where a guy just gets healed from the waist below. Nobody even lays hands on him. (laughs) The Spirit of God just comes, restores his legs, and he walks. Sounds a little bit kind of like the Gospels. It's funny. Um, But what happens, though, is that in our minds, we start to make reasons why that doesn't happen in the United States. We start to make up things we let our experience determine our theology instead of what the word says, letting that define our experience. So here's the deal. When we try to explain away the miracles and say, oh, it doesn't happen in the U.S. because of this, a lot of times we'll say, well, it's because of the poverty, right? It's because of the, the impoverished land and, and they're desperate for God. So, you know, God looks upon that and blesses it and there's power there and there's miracles so the kingdom can go forth. And, you know, that's true. I think that's true in some part. Because if you're not asking God, why would you expect to receive that power that he wants to give? Why would you expect to receive it if you're not asking? So, of course, if we think we have it all together, we have all of our financial needs met, etc., why would we ask? So that's true in one sense, but I don't think that's it. Another reason people give is to say, oh, well, look at the church in China. It's persecuted. That's the key. We don't have as much persecution here. So we don't have the power here. We don't have the signs and wonders here. I still don't think that's actually the case. Because what does the word say? It says that persecution or trial results in perseverance. Does it not? It says it it results in perseverance. Take joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of many kinds. So I don't even think that's directly why we see the outbreak of miracles abroad. The reason why I don't think we see the same level of breakthrough here in the Western church, this is my opinion, is because we're a disunified church. Listen, we have more denominations than we do flavors of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And at that, we're viciously attacking one another in those denominations. I think that unity brings the power of God in a form of breakthrough that we just don't see here because we don't have the unity. You understand? And it makes sense then why persecution is directly correlated in some ways with the breakthrough, right? Because when people are killing Christians, you look around to other Christians, you say, hey, do you love Jesus? Okay, me too. Let's go pray because they're going to kill us. You, You don't, you don't, ask how they baptize somebody, sprinkling or dunking, and then argue. You just get with them and start praying for the God of all creation to deliver you. When you're in persecution, persecution is the catalyst to unity. But it's not persecution in and of itself that brings the breakthrough. You understand? It's the unity that brings the breakthrough. It's the unity that brings the power. A unified church is a powerful church. We're going to see why. Besides, think of it. God doesn't want to invite people into a messy house. Does that make sense? When the, when, the, when the walls of your house are falling down all around you, I mean, you're probably not going to want to invite people to come have dinner over there. When, when there's constant um, disarray and destruction in your house, you probably don't want to just start having Thanksgiving there. 
each year. I'm not saying that that's our lot in the Western church. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that there's a correlation between a house that's orderly, put together and firmly founded in the foundation of Christ, that God chooses to dwell even more profoundly. And I think the scriptures show that. Let's go over to, um, I want us to go over to John 15 now, if you have it, uh, specifically John 15, 12. This is good news. Just the, let the word wash over us. Okay, I'm going to give you a summary up to 12. Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Talking to his disciples. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You're going to bear much fruit. You're going to be effective when you're remaining in me. This is what he says. You can read the first two paragraphs for yourself. You're going to be effective. You're going to produce fruit when you're remaining in me. Now remain. Now I'm picking up at nine. Now remain in my love. How do you remain in his love? Is it by having a good quiet time every day? Somewhat. Is it by, is it by pursuing solid discipleship and becoming a better, um, you know, better, better follower of Jesus? Yeah, of course. But he's very explicit. He says, if you keep my commands, and that's how you remain in his love, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. It's just so simple. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. He says it twice. He says it at the end. If we didn't get it the first time, in 17, he says, this is my command, love each other. Okay, so he says what his command is twice. This is how you remain in my love, love each other. And then he says, this is what's going to happen when you love each other. You're going to bear much fruit. Furthermore, it says, and whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. That's 16. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you if you're remaining in my love, which means love each other. You got it? What's the command? Love each other. Okay? I'm not just going to try to make this um, a cushy kumbaya, sing around the campfire, like have potlucks type of love. It's, that's not what it is. It's not, he, he's not saying, look, just spend a lot of time with each other and don't have conflicts. Um, read the Bible together, but don't really, you know, don't get in tussles. Or, no, he says love each other. And then he gives an example of what type of love he's talking about. He says, 13, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. The example is what Jesus did for us. That's how we're going to love each other, is by following what Jesus' example was, which was to give up his life. Do we have that sense of love? When we think love each other, or when we hear a talk on unity, do we hear die to ourselves so that I can love my, my brother better? I, for a long time, did not hear that. I heard more like, don't have conflict, or be kind, be gentle. But this is an aggressive, proactive love. And in its most extreme form, 
It's giving up your life for your friend. It's what Jesus did for us. So like I said in the beginning, the million-dollar phrase that nobody wants to do, but it's going to result in fruit and impact in church growth is what? Love each other as Christ loved you. Love each other with an aggressive love, a love that just is an initiator rather than just a responder. I'm going to illustrate that. I think we're supposed to love each other to the point where, for instance, your friend and you have a, an argument, right? You have a disagreement. You have some sort of conflict. Listen, this is what it is. You be the one to go buy them Starbucks and talk about it. You buy their coffee and say, we, look, we need to talk. We have a disagreement. We have a problem. You be the one. Don't let bitterness and resentment just hang over you like a cloud and then ignore it like it's not there. If you want, if you're contending for the power of God to be released, and some of you are because I've seen you, and you're starting to see it. You're starting to lay hands on people and seeing them get healed. How, who is the girl with the back that just got correct? Are you here? I don't know. We, we're seeing scoliosis get right. It's okay if you don't want to raise your hand. We're seeing amazing stuff come through, but as, we, as we're contending for it, remember, this is what's going to bring the power of God is a unified church. It's a neat house where the where the God can dwell. It's not the fasting. It's not the extreme, you know, ascetic practices. It's loving each other with an aggressive, tenacious, intentional love. That's the type of love that Jesus showed us. I'm just going to close with this. It's just a quick application um, of kind of who to love. I think immediately, it's it, here's a good way to remember it. A lot of you love how we intercede, you know, at that time kind of between worship and, uh, and, and the message. This is how you should love. Just like you pray here at the harbor. You pray locally and immediately. So love your friends. Love your family. Love them well. Love them tenaciously. Buy the coffee for the people you need to go reconcile with. Don't let the bitterness just dwell over you and rob you of, of God's power. But secondly, love the church regionally. Like I said, we have so many different flavors and factions of the Western church. Pray for the church. Pray for the church down the street. Even if they don't preach the same gospel, pray that they do. Pray that the people have the finances that they need. Call up people in those churches and ask. Figure it out. Find it out. Be proactive. It's the active love of Jesus that we're talking about here. Find out what they need and pray for it. Or if you can, provide for it. Love the church locally. Don't compete with it. Because we're all in the same house. We're all the same dwelling where God wants to dwell richly. That's the regional focus. The third focus, we pray for the nations. We just prayed for Morocco. Go to the nations. Find the church abroad and partner with them. Financially, with your time, serve them, love them. This is how we operate as the body or as the dwelling of Christ. We just go out and we find people who are founded in the foundation of Jesus and we say, I just want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to bless you because we're part of the same structure. We're part of the same house. And I see God dwells in you. The scripture that we read first was Ephesians 2. It says that we both have access to the Father. 
That's the point of unity. Do you have access to the Father through Jesus? Good. I want to partner with you because we're in the same dwelling. We're in the same place. And I want to see the power of God unleashed. So how can I serve you? How can I love you? Three focuses. Foci? Three foci. Anytime you can use foci, it's a good day. Three foci. Love your neighbor. Love your immediate friends and family and people around you. Love the regional church, the local churches in the area. Partner with them. Love on them. Thirdly, go to the nations. Love the church abroad. Love people who are abroad. I want to focus one more minute on the second one, loving the church locally, because I think this is very, this has weight for New England. This has weight for our area. Jonathan Frizz, who was able to speak here a few days, or a few weeks ago, he, um, he has a, a tremendous heart for seeing unity in the church in New England. Why? Not so we can sing Kumbaya. Because he wants the power of God to be released like he sees it in the scriptures. And so what has he done? He's called people to pray from a bunch of different streams, a bunch of different churches. And he started a few different prayer houses partnering with pastors in this area. One of the ways that you can get connected to the local churches in the area beyond the harbor and love on the body is to get in the prayer room. You saw it, they call it the P-Hop, which just stands for Pilgrim House of Prayer. Pilgrim is just down the street on Cabot Street. You got people coming from different streams, different churches, just seeking God's face, worshiping him for maybe 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, whatever you can spend, but plug in and get unified, love each other, and contend for the power of God in that way to come. It's no, it's no surprise to me that the major dividers in the church, the things that split up our flavors of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, are typically worship and the gifts of the Spirit. Do you know why that's not a surprise to me? It's not a surprise because those two things specifically are intended to unify the church. So why wouldn't the enemy take a look at those things and be like, I want to make these the cause of division in the church? Why? Because God is intended for those things to be the cement that holds together his dwelling place, holds together his house, and firmly plants it in the foundation of Jesus. So it's no surprise to me that the enemy would look at those things and say, I'm going to use this as a weapon. I'm going to use this to divide. So take active steps to let that not be the case and go pray. Go worship with other people from other churches. Go contend for God's power in that way. Because he's a dwelling in them. He's a dwelling in you. We both have access. If we could just go to the other scripture there, the other slide. I'm sorry, this message has got some heat on it. It's kind of a little bit forceful, but I think there's a need for being forceful in this time because it literally is sink or swim. If you look at the reason why there's negative growth in a lot of the gatherings and churches throughout, the, throughout New England, I think it's a result of division. It's a result of a lack of unity. And people see all sorts of different brands and they don't know what to choose because Jesus is getting covered over in all of them because we're not emphasizing the foundation that we stand on. So what I want us to do is, um, I don't know how well you can see that, but let's go, there should be Ephesians chapter 3. Is that one in there? Nice. We get the reference and the text. What I want us to do is just stand. We're going to go back into worship. But um, if you would just stand with me, and together, I want us to read this. Read the words of God to each other. Let's, 
Let's pray Paul's prayer over each other. What this is, before we pray, because I want there to be meaning in what we pray. What this is asking is for both you personally to know the power that dwells in you through Christ, but also collectively that we would have power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So I want to read this and let this be our prayer for each other and let it be a catalyst to even more unity. So just let's pray this over each other and then I'll pray. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Thank you, Lord. Let this be. God, let this be. Let this be the case. Let this be the case for us, God. We want to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We want to have the power of God released through us, both individually and corporately, because we can love each other well. God, bring us into a deeper revelation of the love of Christ. How deep, how high, long, and how wide. It's unsearchable. It's infinite. God, show us your love fresh again now so that we can love each other well with the same love. Show us the selfless sacrifice that you made for us so that we can do the same for our brother. God, let the time be gone. Let it be gone where we just hold on to bitterness and resentment and arguments and whatever else just clogs up the arteries. God, we want that time to be gone. We want there to be a new time of just self-sacrificing love where we lay down our lives for our friends. So, Father, would you come? Would you come in power? Would you show us, Lord, the areas? Would you examine our hearts, Holy Spirit? where we've offended the Holy Spirit. Show us, God, where we just need to reconcile with friends. Show us, Lord, where we need to be blessing and not cursing, where we need to be blessing and not judging. Lord, show us how we can love your church better. Show us how we can become a better dwelling for your spirit. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just one more thing I forgot to mention just as we're coming into worship is that I think a lot of us today need to look at being a dwelling as something that you're not going to lose. See, some of us think, I, th- I believe, some of us think that God's just going to withdraw from us as his dwelling place because we failed or because we sinned. And that's just not true. God still dwells richly in you. He dwells richly in you and then in us collectively. Why? Because he can draw near to us. Because the blood of Jesus covers you. That's the gospel. That you can know the God who created the universe in an intimate way, so intimate that he'll actually live in you, because you've been called righteous. You've been counted righteous. That's why he can draw near to you. Not because you said a prayer but because you've been covered and you're called righteous. I want us to worship out of that. Just knowing that we're free. We're a dwelling place of God because we've been counted righteous. Not from anything we've done, but from his son. And that's not going to go away. It can't be taken from us. It's not a temple built from human hands. It's a temple built by the spirit of God and the spirit of God remains in it. 
So I want you to rest in that, worship in that. 